what's going on everybody it's jake alexander the voice in the void the lone wolf your favorite host with a list happy saturday to you thank you very much for tuning in to a new episode of the tweakle podcast hey uh if you've been here for a while and been listening and rocking with us thank you very much for tuning back in i appreciate it like i like i always say uh if this is your first time hey thank you very much for giving us a shot man i hope you decide to go back and listen to some older episodes and uh maybe you find something else that you like and uh, make you stick around subscribe to the podcast so you can catch us every friday usually every friday i know it's saturday today uh but it is what it is i, I thank you very much like i said uh, in yesterday's uh news brief before I, um, before I signed off, I wasn't feeling well all this week. And, uh, this is why the episode is showing up on Saturday instead of Friday. Uh, but I'm feeling a little better. I'm glad I, I can get behind the mic and do what I do. Um, it's going to be a very quick program. We're going to talk about the news up next is that the news section is going to be really short. We're going to uh, delve into a secret invasion. Episode five is, is coming down to the end folks. And it, it's still really good. Episode five wasn't as good as I I thought it was going to be. Not a lot of action, but uh, a bunch of dialogue and a bunch of little Easter eggs. I'm gonna also talk about, and uh, we're gonna talk about uh, not only the SAG after strike and the WGA strike, but all the other strikes that are happening, not just in the states but around the world, and what they all mean uh, for us going forward for at at least just a little while anyway. And um, I'm, I'm gonna tell you how that's gonna affect the program and um, and how it has affected me so far. But uh, besides that, um, I wanna just hurry up and get this episode done so you can get back to enjoying your Saturday. So without further ado, let's delve into the news. Let's start the news off today, obviously talking about the WGA strike and the SAG after strike. Uh, WGA is now into its 81st day by the time you hear this on Saturday. And SAG after is now into its 8th day by the time you hear this on Saturday. Um, the strikes are going to keep going on as long as the AMPTP decides that they are not going to negotiate in any way, shape, or form. This is only the beginning. I've been telling people that since since the WGA strike started and now you add on SAG-AFTRA and the possibility that uh, a lot of the industries inside of Hollywood, outside of the writers and outside of the actors, like the culinary staff and the people who hold the lights and people who run the cameras, a lot of those people are in other unions and those unions themselves uh, may be striking in solidarity. So Hollywood, we knew it was already shut down, but now it's, it's, it's not just about the... Um, uh, the actors and the writers or it's not just about Hollywood in general anymore with all the strikes going on around and we're going to talk about that uh, later on today if you are a fan of the of, of the rock Dwayne Johnson then you ought to y'all love the fact that he's going to get paid 50 million dollars up front uh, to star in the next uh, next movie uh, red letter now the funny thing about that is it's 50 million dollars and I can't believe that this is an actual thing but 50 million dollars is the highest upfront payment to any actor ever period not even close yeah when you think about actors like Tom Cruise uh, Denzel Washington every other actor that you've known all these years and they've never been paid upfront anything close to 50 million dollars I want to I want to say the record was 30 before this um, and I need to ask the question why because as much as I've seen uh, The Rock in movies and as much as I like him, he's not worth $50 million just to star in the movie. He's never carried a franchise. And actually, in my opinion, in no movie has, has he ever been in, has he been the main focus. Every single movie that I've ever seen him in that wasn't a flop, 
he was part of an ensemble cast and that's that includes every single movie that he's ever been in or every single movie he's uh been attached to uh for the fast and furious franchise he's never been the main star he's always been part of the cast but that's just my opinion uh you let me know what you think later on uh, Norman Reedus. I'm pretty sure everybody knows that name. That's Daryl from the Walking Dead uh, franchise. Well, he will be appearing as Ghost Rider in the next Blade movie. Well, that's a big maybe. Um, there is a report saying that he will, but we haven't actually. Uh, it ha it actually hasn't been confirmed by him or his agent or obviously anybody from Disney because they're, they're not talking about anything right now. But the report that I have says that when the next Blade movie comes out in 2025, Norman Reedus will show up as. Um, as the ghost rider so um he is a big motorcyclist he's uh he's been around for a while everybody knows him he's a big enough star to carry the road as ghost rider he has a big enough fan base on his own outside of anything marvel has ever done so him as ghost rider is a good idea him being in the blade movie i don't know how that'll work but you know ghost rider and blade they cross over quite a, quite a bit for uh um for, uh, video games and in comics so you know ghost rider blade not a bad thing i'll take it uh ryan reynolds is set to produce and star in get this biker mice from mars now if you're not familiar with the series and i'm pretty sure if you're my age you you know it uh if you are thinking this sounds like a ripoff and or uh, some type of parody of teenage mutant ninja turtles now like, well guess what it is it it really sort of is biker mice from mars is basically was a cartoon from the uh, late late 80s and into the 90s. Uh, it, it, it sounds exactly what it was: a bunch of a biker mice from Mars, and they ran around and had adventures. And it was just a neat little cartoon. Uh, I don't like the fact that, according to the report I have, it's going to be live action. I don't think Biker Mice from Mars needs to be live action. It was animated then, and that was part of the charm. It was just ridiculous it was something to watch that wasn't teenage mutant ninja turtles until teenage mutant ninja turtles came on uh i it needs to be animated i hope they go back and just allow ryan reynolds and everybody to be voice actors or just hire voice actors and do biker mice from mars it, it does not need to be live action it's going to look ridiculous um and the more news that comes out about this i'll let you know uh we're going to end our uh news today i thought it was going to be quick we're going to end our news today with this quote I warned you guys in 1984 and you didn't listen. That comes from director James Cameron. And what he was talking about is the scourge that AI can and just may become if we don't learn how to keep it in check. Now, he's right. In the movie Terminator in 1984, we see what AI can do. It's not just a computer program once it gains sentience and we've seen what it happens when it gains sentience remember that robot that ai was running at the uh, amazon factory and it was working and after about two hours it shut itself down it realized that the task that it was doing was pointless and feckless and decided this ain't it and shut the robot down yeah so ai is sentient right now in front of us and we can see what it may do in the future Thanks to the movie Terminator. We've seen, we've known all about Skynet for years, but nobody wants to listen. It's, it, it can be a good tool for man, but it should not be something that we lean into as a replacement for mankind. And James Cameron's right. He warned you in 1984 and folks seem to just not want to listen. So 
uh, I appreciate James Cameron. He's, you know, it's, he, he's been dissing Marvel a lot lately for the last few years, but at, at least in this regard, he is absolutely right. Uh, that's all our news uh, for today. Don't forget to check our Instagram page at the underscore tweakle underscore pod for other news that I don't talk about on the program. I'm going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about episode five of the Secret Invasion series. So let's talk about Secret Invasion episode five. Title of this episode was Harvest, and it was a good episode. It could have been a lot better. There were a few little mishaps to me that I saw in the episode, but it was still a really good episode. It's not a lot of action, not a lot of action at all, but a lot of the dialogue, a lot of the things going on in the background, a lot of the uh, little things that Fury did and things that Gaia did and even things that Gravik did. They all point to other parts of the MCU past and present and going into the future. So it was, like I said, good episode, but it could have been better. There's a lot of little missteps, but we're going to go over the episode, everything that happened. And I'm going to throw in some Easter eggs and some things that I observed along the way. So the episode started with the aftermath of uh, President Ritson's motorcade being attacked. And here he is being rushed into the uh, to, into a British hospital after the assassination attempt. And to me, it was just a weird scene. This is one of those things where I said it was a misstep. It's a weird scene watching president Ritson being wheeled into uh this hospital with just fury one nurse one doctor right um that's not enough staff on hand to attend to the president of the united states after somebody attacked attacked his motorcade that hospital should have been hustling and bustling with all sorts of doctors inside of an ER, an emergency room, um, especially when a U.S. president is uh, attacked on foreign soil. And he, even if you want to say, well, hey, it's a British hospital, maybe they don't have as much staff on hand at any given time like they do in, in the States. But still, th this is the U.S. president after all. If he was actually attacked on British soil and then they say, well, he's alive, he's being rushed to the hospital for uh, for treatment. It should still have a ton of people in this hospital treating him, looking after him. It should be a ton of Secret Service members, as many as possible, that would have walked away from that gunfight at the hospital tending to him. But no, it, the only person uh, guarding the door at the end of this scene is just Nick Fury with one handgun. It, it, I understand this is a TV series. It's Disney. It's all make believe. It's all comic book related, but it still should have that part right there still should have had a lot more realism to it. And that was just one of those missteps in the thing that I saw. Uh, like I said, at the end, Fury stands, has to stand guard. It has to stand outside, even though he's the one that walked Ritson in, but he doesn't have clearance. Well, there's nobody else there but him. Who's going to tell him he has to stand outside because he doesn't have clearance. The, hospital staff wouldn't know all they know is that this one guy brought the president in to be treated because he just got attacked they probably are uh, uh, 100% they're going to let him stand in there with the president so the, a lot of missteps in that one scene it made the episode kind of feel I won't say bad I'll say it made the episode feel kind of hollow kind of shallow so but it, it, like I said, still a good episode overall. Uh, next thing we see, we see Gravik, Beto, and uh, Pagan going back to the uh, Russian facility where the Skrulls are hiding out, hiding out the new Skrulls. And um, they are they also have that female um, uh, um, council member in tow with them. And they are kind of pissed. And uh, Pagan even goes on to challenge uh, Gravik's intel uh, about the harvest. And we'll get to what the harvest is later. And uh, he's, he tells, he tells uh, uh, Gravik, point blank like 
dude, you've kind of failed everywhere. You told us to go look for the harvest that fury would have told you then they haven't been there. So obviously fury lied to you and you don't know what you, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. He basically, he's basically challenging Gravik's rule and Pagan doesn't, it doesn't go well for him. Let's just say that because he gets killed by uh, Gravik. Gravik reaches out and, and impels him through the heart with those, uh, group, arm or extension powers that he has at the moment being a super scroll uh gravic actually calls rava on the phone rava is uh the the female scroll that's impersonating roadie and he tells her point blank like look tell ritson that the russians are allied with the scrolls and tell her where the uh the new scrolls camp is in russia uh rava's like no why would i do that because Gravik is expecting the president to drop a bomb on Russian soil, which would start World War Three, regardless of what happened to him inside of that motorcade. And and then Ritson is obviously like, nah, I don't know if I want to do all that. And, you know, we we don't actually see him get to do anything like that. But I think maybe they should have. Maybe it should have started off with World War Three by the time this series is over. And you might be asking why? Because we're going to get Captain America: Brave New World. And wouldn't that be kind of neat? Like right before the bombs actually take off, you get the beginning of Brave New World. You get Cap uh, swooping in with intel that uh, Rhodey is a scroll, and <clears throat> excuse me, that Rhodey is a scroll, and that hey, this isn't the Russians. We're being played by uh, the scrolls. Is that and the other? And we have to deal with this. And then you start adding on all the other stuff from from the movie uh, that involved Harrison Ford as Thunderbolt Ross and everything else. That would make a lot of sense. I think that would have been a kind of a cool thing to get the movie really 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 going it would actually make it feel more like a connected comic book type of story it would have that connected comic book feel but either way uh, that's just my opinion maybe maybe you you're not up for something like that um rava uh events uh eventually winds up at the hospital to see ritz and, and fury pulls a gun order gun on on her but all anybody sees is that fury is pulling a gun on um uh, on colonel rhodes uh and i think it's a really cool moment uh, the, the camera itself never, uh, never takes its, its, uh, focus off of Fury and, um, and Skrull Rhodey. And he even, and you can even hear, uh, Fury tell, uh, the one secret service agent that's with, uh, that's with Skrull Rhodey, like, Hey, go ahead, do something. I dare you. That's a good call back to Pope fiction where Sam Jackson, as Jules said, say, say it one more time. I dare you. I double dare you motherfucker. That's pretty much what it, it's connected to. It's been a lot of uh, callbacks to Pope Fiction and Samuel Jackson and a couple of, of the other roles he's been in along the way throughout this entire series, and I've loved every single one of them. Uh, we next get to see Sonya Fallsworth go to see Director Weatherby of uh, SIS. Remember, she's the undersecretary. Weatherby is the head guy, and she had she's had the intel for quite some time that Weatherby was a scroll or at least uh, helping the scrolls somehow or another so she walks in and pulls the gun on him he doesn't know what to do and she shoots him so all these other guards decide to run in and they're like what are you doing and she's like oh i'm making him show his true colors and then she points to him and he's bleeding uh she's actually shot him um once which is r right through the hand and into the thigh and obviously uh the shock to the system of being shot forces him to change change back into his squirrel form she winds up getting the uh, location of the Daltons, the two doctors running the Super Scroll program uh, from him. And then she winds up going to see them later. We'll get to that in one second. Uh, the big moment uh, honestly comes up right after that. Uh, the entire show, the biggest moment of the entire show comes up right after that. Beto, after watching Gravit kill Pagan in the scene previous to this one, he decides to lead a mutiny or like a coup attempt against Gravik. And they, they try to smother him to death. 
Uh, and it might look like uh, it kind of looked to me like a mob hit. Um, <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny that they that they decided to put a bag over his head. But putting a bag over his head and trying to strangle him and giving his uh, and cutting off his oxygen, it makes sense. Uh, if you don't understand it, Gravik has extremist powers. We've already seen him get shot through the face, no less. And it, he basically just heals himself. So um, them shooting him, they they would know by now. It's there ain't no sense of us shooting him. We got to kill him with something else. Um, they 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 take everything they to uh, that they can to him. They hit him with a sledgehammer. They stab him a couple of times. I don't think anybody noticed that, but yeah. Um, and they they're beating the the heck out of him while uh, Beto is holding his bag over his face, and it doesn't help. <laughs> graphic uh, we actually finally get to see him in his adult scroll form um this one time and he puts down the mutant he kills everybody then he drags beto out of the room where he's attacked and he kills beto in front of everyone <clears throat> excuse me basically solidify his power like i will not be challenged um and it works I'm, I'm pretty sure it works i don't think anybody else is gonna try to step up to him it's only one more episode so we won't get to see it if, even if they do uh, next thing we see, Fury heads back to that safe house in Brixton. It's the same safe house uh, we saw in episode two in the flashback where he's uh, getting these scrolls to um, basically, quote unquote, help me protect Earth and I will find you a new home. It's the same place. Um, to me, it's a forgettable scene. It, uh, it's, it's, just, it's just a little dialogue between him and Gaia. Uh, a little bit of talking about Talos, a little bit of talking about why he chose that particular place. That's the only real thing in that one scene that's um, even worth them uh, having. Um, the dialogue saved this scene and he explains about that the neighborhood, which is a real place, is where black immigrants from the West Indies settled after World War II. Um, it's a real place with real history, and it ties this series to the plight of black immigrants, not only in the United States, but around the world. And it ties their experiences to the scrolls being in the similar type of fashion, right? Just looking for a place to exist as themselves without having to pretend to be something else someone else or something else that they're not um just like black people from around the world do with in the majority of the places that we find ourselves living in and I, like i said outside of that dialogue this scene is real forgettable um the one other thing in this scene i thought was interesting is when um fury hears um uh, police sirens coming down the street he decides to leave thinking that they're more than likely coming to that safe house to look for him and Gaia turns to him as they're leaving, as they're parting ways, and she, she tells him, I'll put on a brave face. That could be another link to her winding up becoming uh, Abigail Brand uh, later on. Uh, but it also could be a link to um, to a scene that we see that's supposed to happen in the, in the last episode where Fury is fighting Gravik hand-to-hand. Fury wouldn't be fighting Gravik hand-to-hand knowing he has all of these powers, right? So more than likely, that fight that we see, it's Gaia disguised as fury trying to fight graphic while the real fury is off doing something else more than likely that's that's what it's going to be it's going to be her disguised as fury trying to take graphic out uh the next scene is where uh fallsworth finds the daltons at their lab uh the girl and the guy scroll uh disguised as human doctors uh she lets them know real quickly that she does not that she's not to be uh, messed around with and she tells them like hey i can be anything you want me to and she offers them either cake or death now that that's a very nice callback it's a it's it refers to a skit by stage com uh, comedian Susie Izzard, who goes by the name Eddie Izzard in part of the skit uh, and where uh, she portray or he or she portrays this like uh, the Church of England during the Spanish Equis uh, Inquisition in the uh, farcical manner. And uh, that that 
particular person offers either cake or death. Uh, that's that's funny. If you've never seen that skit, look it up. Cake or death, Eddie Izzard. You you will laugh. It's it's really funny. Uh, the Dalton start talking, and Fallsworth gets the blueprint uh, to the Super Scroll machine, and it it looks pretty gnarly. Um, it's a lot of writing and scroll uh, in their language. Um, on the side of the sheet but it's just a bunch of letters it doesn't actually say anything once you translate it um um the daltons uh wind up uh, in a in a bit of a mexican standoff when the the male dalton who is who is actually named victor he threatens to kill the female dalton rosa uh, and fallsworth is uh he's basically doing it trying to get fallsworth to back off and let them go and she and it was, it was kind of funny she was like yep the males in our species kind of do like that they're either trying to kill you or you know or trying to use you as as leverage to move up the chain and she basically she shoots dalton in a nice shot over um, she shoots Victor right through the face and then she torches the uh, lab that they were working in at that uh, house out in the UK countryside so they can't do anything else with it uh, next thing we see Vara as Rhodey delivers uh, she she delivers the intel just as Gravik wanted to to the now awake President Ritson maybe he, he recovered pretty fast after having a car flip over with him in it right I guess I guess it's tough to be an American I guess uh, uh, Ritz, Ritson is obviously hesitant knowing that that could start world war three uh more than likely he's not going to do it I, I, like i said I, I would actually want him to order the strike and then you would have uh captain america um uh sam wilson uh swooping at the last second to stop the bombs or whatever or to keep the strike from actually happening uh but that's not what we're going to get i highly doubt that's what we'll get it'd be i would want them to do it but that's that that ain't gonna happen i know uh we next see fury on a private plane now the plane that uh that he's hopping on to now head out to finland in order to get the uh uh the harvest so he can uh trick gravic into a into a standoff it's being it's being piloted by mason now mason is the same man from black widow he's the one that uh got natasha out and uh, wind up giving her a Quinjet at the end of uh, Black Widow. Uh, the funny thing is, is Mason tells Fury that, uh, hey, you know that Shield Helicarrier you keep going on about, going on about. Well, yeah, it's in Mothballs, which is where you, which is where Fury probably should be too. Um, this points out actually that Mason has been in Fury's network for a while. If he knows for a fact where the Helicarrier actually is. Now, I remember at one point during uh, uh, during Age of Ultron when. Um, Fury uh, brought the helicarrier in to uh, save the people of, uh, of 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 that village. Uh, he says, "Like, yeah, we dug this one out of Mothball, so that's a connection." But if, but truly, if Mason knows that that's in Mothballs too, and it's been shut down, and there's no way that he could get to it, even if Fury really wanted it, that you know he knows things. He's he's on the inside and he's working it. So he he's been in he's been in Fury's network for a while, uh, which means at the end of black widow when he brings uh natasha to quinjet it was probably at it was probably at um a fury's behest it was he probably got it directly from fury in order to take it to her so hey man that's kind that's kind of cool that 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 kind of hope that kind of says maybe and i hope it would that he would show up in thunderbolts as well then he'd uh wind up being uh just like luis was in the um in the first couple of uh ant-man movies right uh, he, he shows up. He knows everything about Ant-Man, even though he's not actually an Avenger or anything like that. Mason would be a good character. Uh, actually, Mason would be a good character now that I think about it to carry on the uh, tradition of um, that Stan Lee was. Stan Lee was in every movie playing some type of character. Why not have a person who's intertwined with everybody 
on a spy level show up in every movie in some way, shape or form. You can carry on the idea of Stan Lee's character, right? But now you have somebody not just standing on the outside because we figure out later on that Stanley's character is is a watcher. But we have somebody now on the inside carrying on that feeling of Stanley still being there. And that one character who's in on everything inside of the MCU. Mason would be a good character for them to do that. Uh, next thing we see is Vara helping Gaia give the funeral rites to Talos. Um, it's very similar to uh, what the Vikings did about uh, burning the dead. Um, they uh, inside of the scrolls. Um, um, funeral uh, type of thing. They need a personal offering to the dead, and Gaia uses her mother's ring, which is very touching because now Talos and uh, Soren can actually be together again, even in death. Um, the scroll language being spoken is a cross creation, uh, but with a Japanese and Turkish uh, basis, and it was developed by two men, Joseph Ryan and Ryan Hurd. And the first time we actually heard this language was back in Captain Marvel in 2019. Uh, the actual name of the language that they created for it is called Torfa, which is actually named after one of the, one of the planets. Uh, it's called Torfin. I'm sorry. And it's part of it's It's named after the, the planet Torfa from the uh, Captain Marvel 2019 movie. Um, graphics assassins wind, wind up showing up at, at Fury and Vara's house in order to kill them both um, to kill Gaia and, and uh vara and they don't do it <laughs> they are like horrible shots they just get gunned down by by both ladies inside of the greenhouse and i think it was pretty cool that vara has all of these weapons she's she was taught well by nick and uh i love that scene with the two of them back to back wheeling around shotgun or handgun and every time an assassin comes through the door uh he or she or whatever the squirrel happens to be gets gunned down and they are standing tall together back to back with these two neat little uh backpacks that are bullet not only bulletproof vests but they're also tactical uh tactical vests at the same time that, that's kind of cool it was, that was that was one of the better scenes in the entire so in the entire episode to me a uh, fury finally arrives in finland disguised as a finnish man he's wearing uh what we now know as the widow's veil he kind of looks like donald sutherland when you really look at him uh, the name on the passport that he's using uh the last guy the last name is Kerhonen. it's a very very common name in Finland, especially when it's spelled with that O in the middle. Uh, think of, think of uh, Kerhonen if you're an English speaker. Think of it as like having your last name be Williams or Smith or like you go to China and you find a million and one, pe a trillion and one people with the last name Lee. It's one of those type of names. It is immensely common. Now that widow's veil that, uh, that Fury is wearing over his face along with the wig, uh, this, to help him to be disguised as the Finnish guy. Um, it, we've seen it used in Winter Soldier. We've seen it used in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and in Black Widow uh, toward the end by Natasha again. Um, Fury says that the veil that he's using is an older version. The newer version would, uh, I would say, cover the entire body because this one only covers the face. And uh, Fallsworth, who was there to meet him, she says, like, you know, you spent a billion dollars of, of research and development to do this and it only covers your face. And he said, no, this is an older one. Uh, all it does is cover your face. Uh, so that tells me that they, that either he couldn't get his hand on the newer one that Fallsworth think, thinks he should have or that there's already a new one or that they're being that's being developed and it would cover your entire body. It would change everything, which is kind of neat, because if the widow's veil could cover your entire body, wouldn't that effectively make you a scroll? It would change everything about you, not only your face and your skin features and your hands. It would change the clothes you're wearing. 
right? They've just that's basically the the power of a scroll. So maybe Fury has been harvesting the harvesters, and like like hey, if you can do it, I'm gonna have to figure out a way to dance around you, right? Because that's pretty much uh, what we figure out later on. That's what Fury's been doing with the harvests because as he's driving, um, we get the full backstory about what set gravic off so at one point fury had gravic and a bunch of other scrolls search for blood of every avenger at the battle of earth now the battle of earth is the name that's being attached to that final battle at the end of uh avengers endgame so if we said the battle if it's being called the battle of earth you have to think this through that's not being being named by humans remember it's the battle of new york when the avengers are fighting off the uh, alien invasion led by loki so if this is the battle of earth that's a name more than likely attached to it by other aliens outside of outside of earth that either fought in it either fought either helped the avengers fight in it or the fact that hey some of their people were brought back by the blip they figured out why they their people were brought back by by the snap or the blip whichever one you want to call it and they say well what happened well there was a big battle on earth and the Avengers won, and that's why all of our people came back. It would not have been named the Battle of Earth by uh, uh, by people on Earth, by humans. It would probably have been named the Battle of Upstate New York, because remember, this is Upstate New York at that Avengers compound. But they already had the Battle of New York at the end of uh, at the end of the first Avengers movie. So this battle wouldn't have been the Battle of New York. It would be the Battle of Earth, but it would have been have named by people outside of Earth. So I think that's kind of cool. That kind of shows that Fury is looking at uh, threats not only on Earth, but outside. He's he's taking a more galactic view of, of his entire job, which and he would have to. Right. He's been dealing with the scrolls for 30, 40 years. So, yes, he has a galactic view in it. Um, but he like I said, he's been looking for the blood of every single Avenger and any but any super powered individual that has crossed his path. Um, why? Because go back to the first Thor movie at the end of it, the destroyer is sent to earth and Thor has to fight him off. And then later in Avengers, uh, the first film, he tells everybody on the helicarrier inside of that lab. Yeah, I've been developing weapons, uh, to fight off not only superpower individuals, but everybody, every threat possible. Why? And he points to Thor and says, because of him, he, you came and had this gigantic death match. And we figured out that we are like woefully underpowered. I have to be able to have weapons to not fight off you specifically, but I do need weapons to fight off threats of your level because look what you can do and look what we can't do. And I know a lot of people are going to say, well, that's kind of a, like a villain tactic, but that's not really a villain tactic. Really? I mean, when you think about it, it's not a villain tactic. That's something that Batman has been doing since his since his entire run with the Justice League, has he not? And everybody, every it's I ain't gonna say everybody, but so many people believe Batman to be the ultimate hero, whether he's super powered or not, because Batman has a contingency plan for every Justice Leaguer in case they either like get mind controlled or go rogue. Well, guess what? Here's Fury doing the exact same thing. This is not a villain move. This is smart. If you go back to the uh, Justice League movie, I can't remember which one it is. I want to say it was Justice League War, where uh, the entire Justice League is basically having a trial on Batman about him doing this and having all of these contingency plans for every person in the Justice League. And Batman tells them, like, if you think that you all are just going to run around and I'm not going to have a contingency plan just in case you get mind controlled or something, then you're damn fools. And I agree with him. And I agree with Fury about having all of these 
uh, individual's powers or having all of their blood so he can, you know, figure out what their weaknesses are. I mean, hell, he can use those weaknesses and figure out a way to power them up just in case there is another alien invasion. This isn't a dirty move. I get it. It may seem kind of scummy, but it is a necessary move when you're somebody in Fury's position. I, I think it was a masterstroke of an idea by Fury. That's just on me. Uh, the, the We get to the final scene uh, at the end of the show, and it is a lot of really good writing and a lot of really good uh, things going on inside of this scene as well. Uh, we we get to see another tombstone for fury and it references the bible verse john 15 13 that says greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends this is good symmetry uh because this is that that verse is from the new testament verse and the grave site from the winter soldier that we see fury has has the old testament verse that that is a call back to uh the the jewels in pope fiction like i said a lot of pope fiction um novels but that that verse um for in winter soldier that's on that tombstone that's in the old testament so we went to old testament now we have new testament uh fury activates a hidden compartment on the tombstone with his breath by breathing on it that's similar to what bruce willis did by activating the wind stone in the fifth element remember that uh, if you've never seen fifth element go watch it really good movie um inside of the mausoleum which is next to fury's um headstone there is a there is another hidden compartment if Fury activates another hidden door on it um with his eye it's an it's an ocular reader and inside of it he grabs a new leather jacket an eye patch a gun and an earpiece now around uh this symbol on side of this compartment door there are nordic runes there are a lot of um you don't get to see all of them uh but a split second but when you do get to see them and you do trans and do you do translate them um one of them it reads a uh, bad mother's heart uh, uh along the top of it and you know the bad mother's heart heart meaning you know the thing that you love bad mother all of that refers to uh again pulp fiction where uh sam jackson's characters jewels his his wallet said bad motherfucker on it remember so that that's a that's a nice little call back to that and uh around the bottom of it there are all of these little rooms with different things and when you read them and have them translated out all of these little runes these nordic runes it tells nick fury's story with every avenger that he has ever come to meet like one of them is destroyer thor right uh guardians or you know galactic and aliens and it tells it tells all of these little events from the destroyers showing up on uh on earth and him having to deal with it and thor all the way up to having to deal with loki and it and the avengers all the way up to having to deal with thanos and the and this and the blip or the snap whichever one you want to call it and everybody coming back and him in, and there's even one rune that reads dust which is obviously him him uh fury him himself being turned to dust inside of the blip or the snap whichever one i think that was pretty cool that they actually told that story in runes and it was pretty cool that they told it that way because that's how stories would have been told in a lot of the in a lot of the norse languages and a lot of the norse um uh society they would have been told in uh, little clips and little phrases and little one word uh notations i thought that was very very cool um after that um there's this little symbol on that on that tombstone it kind of looks like a fox or maybe even a wolf to me i want to say it's a wolf and it connects fury as the leader of the howling commandos in the comics and it also connects fallsworth because she shares the name with uh james montgomery fallsworth who was a member of the howling commandos in the comics and way back in captain america the first avenger the last thing we see is fury make a call over the earpiece saying it's time let's finish this now i'm trying to ask who is he talking to 
I personally want to believe that he's talking to the actual Maria Hill. I don't know if that's true, but that's just what I feel. Maybe he's talking to the original Maria Hill. Um, maybe you don't know. Maybe it could be uh, another. It could be Rhodey, right? The actual Rhodey. He's kind of broken him out somehow or another at some point. We don't know. We don't know who he's talking to. We'll figure it out at the end of the next one. Um, I kind of want to know what's the significance of the eye patch, right? He specifically went and grabbed a n another eye patch, which you could have gotten an eye patch anywhere, but you haven't decided to wear it till now. So what's the significance of you grabbing this one, this specific one here? Um, we don't know. Um, but there's just one more episode to go. Uh, to me, it's make or break. This episode, like I said, wasn't bad. It was good. It just wasn't as good as it should have been, in my opinion. A lot of missteps that they should have uh looked at and uh touched up with the extra time they had before it uh letting this go um there's four storylines that they have to tie up they have to tie up gaia's storyline does she actually become abigail brand um they have to tie up fury's storyline what happens to him what happens to vara uh they have to tie up does scrody finally get get uh his uh scroll come up and um, what's the fate of all the squirrels on the earth it's a lot for them to go through in that last episode and I, I haven't had any word that these episodes are going to be any longer, so I don't know what's going to happen. We shall see. I will be watching this last episode, and it may be the last episode I watch on Disney Plus for quite a while, and I'll let you know that uh, right right after this. I'm going to take a break, and when we come back, I want to talk about the SAG After Strikes, uh, the SAG After Strike, the WGA Strike, and all of the affiliate strikes going on around the world. My mother, my father, and my grandmother. I get my love of movies from them. For my dad, I fell in love with the fantasy and the spectacle of films. For my mother, I learned to appreciate the artistry of acting and the poetry of writing. For my grandmother, well, she was born in 1910. So to her, just like me, movies were pure magic. I am who I am because of them through and through. I remember the last film my parents took me to see before I got old enough to go on my own. Jurassic Park, 1993. From then on, I was at the Bel Air 10 Theater on 8 Mile, the Norwest Theater on Grand River here in Detroit so often that everybody knew my name and how I liked my popcorn as soon as I walked in. When Blockbuster was still the thing, the store on 9 Mile Road in Livernois in Ferndale, Michigan, a straight shot one mile walk from my house, saw me so often that I had a spot on the staff recommendation rack. My friends and family are constantly asking me about movies that they can't remember because more often than not, I can identify a film from small clues. I know this all seems more like a walk down memory lane than a talk about Hollywood and everything that's going on with these strikes, but I need to impress upon you the extent to which films have helped shape me. I love movies and the industry that produces them, but as of late, movies and the industry have not loved me back and the WGA and SAG after strikes have shown me the true ugly side of Hollywood and has forced me to, to shift how I am going to consume film and television for the foreseeable future. And as much as I love movies, I love more and am a huge supporter of the men and women that write, act, run the cameras, hold the lights, do the editing, and do special effects, etc. They are the backbone of the very thing I love and obsess over. I'm a kid of union-supporting parents, for God's sake. And I'm probably from the most pro-union city in this country. I look at the current strikes as more than just a pause of my favorite media. 
I see it as a slap to every hardworking man and woman out there. Take a moment to look around and really dig into what is right before us. It's not just SAG-AFTRA and WGA that are on strike. It's UPS here in the U.S. It's thousands of hospital staff across the U.K. You have one of the largest trucking companies here in the U.S., Yellow, facing a strike after informing their workers that their pensions are now unfunded, just gone. You have Amazon workers on strike right here uh, near me in Pontiac, Michigan. In Italy, rail workers went on strike and are still on strike, completely halting, halting the train system all across their country. This isn't about movies anymore, people. It hasn't been about movies for a while now. This is about AI and automotion. It's about the destruction of the human and the fact that we now exist in a system and have existed in a system that has relegated you and me to ratios according to efficiency and profitability. This is about the continued farce that is the capitalist system and values of making a few extra dollars, even if it means the death and exploitation of men, women, and children everywhere. And we are all to blame. This isn't just on them. It's all of us. You, them, me. From our cell phones to our shoes to the SUVs and Teslas we drive, even to the very microphone and laptop that I'm using right now to produce this program. We're all culpable in our own destruction. So what's to be done? In short, it's time. Now is the time that we all get real comfortable with being real uncomfortable. Decisions need to be made and those decisions must be bolstered by action. If we are able to see the Star Trek future that so many of us millennials and nerd type, that future that we all dreamed of so much, it must be now, right now that we begin to break the chains that have shackled us for so long. Support these strikes. Donate and help as you can. Make conscious choices as to where you and to whom you are willing to pay your money to. I myself, personally, I am going to be deleting every streaming site I have for the foreseeable future. I won't be going to the movies to see any film that is by a studio connected to the AMPTP if they want to use AI and not pay their writers and their actors. The opposition to the WGA and the SAG-AFTRA organizations, aid to AMPTP, has said furiously over the past few weeks that they are willing to sit out negotiations until people start to lose their houses, start to go broke and be homeless. These people do not care about you and me. This isn't just in Hollywood. This is not just about movies anymore. This is about labor. Versus the people who run companies. We are not just expendable tools for them to make more money and to leave us with less. And you're probably asking yourself right now where if you're not going to the movies and you're not looking at anything on streaming. What does that mean for the program? It means nothing changes. I will be watching as much programming as I possibly can. But I will not be doing it by paying these people to watch it. Wink, wink. I'm pretty sure you know what I mean. What I mean. I won't be going to the movies to see anything that that's attached to any studio that's part of the AMPTP, but fear not. There is always another way to skin a horse and I will find a way to watch and review and talk about all the fun stuff from the hardworking blue collar men and women that write and bring our favorite characters to life. There are always indie films, indie TV shows. Hey, maybe we'll start throwing in more comic book recommendations. You never know. 
So you just stay tuned and I promise we will not be slowing down anytime soon. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, it'll be time for the last call. So that's it. And that's all. It's time for the last call. I want to thank each and every single one of you for tuning in and listening to me this week. Uh, you can be doing anything, but you decided to hang out with me for a little while. And I appreciate you totally. Uh, could have been, I, you could have been doing anything, like I said, I, and I don't care if it's one, five, 10, a hundred or a thousand of you. Well, I'm lying. I do care. I, I would like it to be a thousand people every episode, but no matter how many of you decide to tune in and listen, I am eternally grateful because you could, like I said, you could have been doing anything, but you didn't, uh, but you didn't do anything else. You come and hang out with me. Uh, doing this pokey little podcast and i am truly truly grateful uh, there is no weekend watch list this week a hey, uh for obvious reasons the last segment tells you why uh we'll pick back up uh, with it next week um but we do have a last call drink this week and we do have a weekend playlist now our weekend playlist is over on spotify search pro labor movement weekend playlist pro labor movement and you will find it it'll be there uh and a link to it will be in the description for all of my uh my all my um spotify folks uh and hopefully if if, if it can it, it hasn't been popping up the last couple of weeks but i know it it does happen uh look into the description no matter what platform uh, that you're listening to this on and the, the um, link to the playlist will be there uh, our last call drink this week is called the gentleman and ginger using gentleman jack a little bit of ginger beer or ginger ale they are different are different uh and a little bit of lime if you, if you want the uh, instructions on how to make it go over to the go over to our uh instagram page and there will be a picture it'll say gentlemen gentlemen uh, and ginger right across the uh thing and you can look it up in the description it'll tell you how to make it uh it's a really good drink i've had it a few times before uh hanging out with my friends at the bar and uh, i've actually made one of these uh, around the house uh, around the vault in at our bar in our in our basement and it's it's actually really good i'm i'm a whiskey guy so this hits home uh i'll Outside of that, I want you to get out there and have a good weekend. I know it's Saturday. Uh, I wish this was Friday. That way I can tell you to have a longer weekend. Uh, but today's Saturday. I want you to have fun. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Don't do anything to hurt yourself. If you need help, you know who to call. Dial 988 or text 988. Somebody's always there 24-7. You know what that line is for. We've talked about this before. Um, but yeah, just enjoy yourself. Have fun. Uh, you know, get out there and do something. You know, just go for a walk. You know, get your physical health on. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and then, uh, but besides that, it's time to go, and we will end this episode. So uh, we'll end this episode the same way we always do. So for so for my producer Nikki Rev, we will say the same thing we do every week. God bless. I love you, and peace. See you next time. You're listening to the Tweakle Podcast.